Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am Larry Wilmore, and this is Black on the Air. Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. Back from its second episode of 2018. Yeah. Man, what a year. Hey, let me tell you, second season of Trump is lit, you guys. It is lit. <laughs> There's so much going on. Oh, my God. There's not even time to cover it all. It happens so fast, you know. I have a really fun conversation coming up on today's podcast with uh, actor and activist Mr. Bradley Whitford, who happens to be an old buddy. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. We talk about a lot of different things, um, his career, political stuff. And uh, just have a lot of fun. So that uh, conversation goes a bit long, so I won't take too long at the top here. But like, and you know, the thing is, stuff happens so fast with um, the tangerine, idiomine, nectarine, noriega, uh, orange Julius Caesar. I think we had just dropped the podcast when he made this whole shithole comment. And I was like, damn, I can't believe that. What's wrong with him? His timing is horrible. I didn't have a chance to say anything about it. Now it's kind of old news and everybody's talking about it and all that stuff. To me, the one of the biggest takeaways from that is I love how these news anchors and how all these people are Columbusing that Trump is racist all of a sudden. You know, I breaking news and CNN, Trump is a racist. It's like, well, thanks for reporting the 2011 news in 2018, you guys. I appreciate that. Like, how do how did you not know this? I mean, even just the Mexican rapist line, you should have been reporting he was a, a racist back then, you know. So it's very frustrating when I see that. I think I, I want to talk about the, the news uh, next week a little bit more. I'm just getting tired of, of uh, some of these cable news channels. I mean, now they're engaged in, like, like, on Fox, they're going after CNN. CNN's going after Fox, like... Uh, when did the news itself become a media critic is what I want to know. Like, that was always our job as comedians. Now they're, like, playing media critic and, like, criticizing each other's thing. It's it's We're in bizarro land right now, you know, and never, ever owning up to their responsibility for putting that monster in the White House. Whatever. But um, it's not news to me that Trump is a racist. I don't find that exciting news, you know. Or interesting, and it's being overplayed a bit too. It's like, get over it, guys. This isn't this isn't shocking that he would call those places shitholes. If you know, any, if you've been listening carefully, of course that's how he feels about it, you know. But one thing I do think, I do think that Democrats are overplaying it a bit. This, from a political standpoint, this whole he's racist, Trump racist. He thinks of these people for these countries. He has a bad opinion about them. Like, I think a lot of that, I don't know what voice that was. I have no idea who I was just doing right now. I think a lot of that is being overplayed just because the point really isn't about race when it comes to immigration on the Republican side. I don't believe so. I honestly believe it's about territory. It's the fact that Republicans view most immigrants these days as potential Democratic voters. That's how they view them. And so they want to do everything they can they can do to stop a flood of new votes for the Democratic Party. That's basically what it comes down to. And all of this talk about whatever they're saying about immigrants, that's why they're talking on both sides of their mouths. They're not making any sense one day, and they say this about the other. If you really listen to them, and by the way, they're honest about this. They're very upfront about it. It's just that a lot of people miss it. It's all about the votes, you know. It's the same thing. It's my same opinion about voter ID. 
you know, a lot of people were saying how racist it is that a lot of these Republican districts, they make these stricter, stricter laws for poor people, especially black people, to vote. You know, they stopped in, I, am, I think, in Florida in some places, they won't allow them to vote on people to vote on Sundays anymore, where a lot of times, you know, black people would get on a bus, go right from church, you know, and go vote. And in my mind, a lot of that is the same issue because they know a lot of those poor people and a lot of black people are Democrats. They're not going to vote for them. And I guarantee you guys, if black people as a group tomorrow said, we're going to take that 95 percent vote that we give to Democrats and we're going to give a lot of that to Republicans. (laughs) You know, we're all going to be Republicans right now. We're having meetings all around the country right now. We're going to give you guys a chance. We're going to vote Republican right now. Those voter ID laws would change in a minute. Are you kidding me? They would allow black people to vote in church. I mean, we'd be, they'd let us vote at barbecues after that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever black people, you can vote in the barbershop. It does not matter. If you were starting to vote Republican, those voter ID laws would vanish in a second, you know, or whatever those are. But um, I believe you can trace a lot of things back to power, you know. The racism to me is just a given on so many of those things. Racism doesn't impress me on this issue. That's all I'm saying. And briefly, God, there's really not really enough time to talk about the other thing this week, the story that came out about Aziz Ansari. I'm sure you guys heard there was the article published, uh, I think in Babe, I think it's called, from an anonymous uh, woman who went by the name of Grace. And she talked about this worst date that she had in her life about Aziz. Aziz. And the way it was reported at first when it came in the news, it looked like, oh, shit, what happened? You know, you know, they put his picture with all the other people and everything. But as the story unfolded, we found out it was a little more complex. And it was interesting to me to see that there started to be what seemed like fighting by people who are for the same cause, you know, the who are in the Me Too movement. It seemed to cause a rift in it. And I asked people, I went on Twitter, which is a great place to ask people to comment on. Very smart of you, Larry. And some of the comments I got back were very interesting, you know. But um, I think my personal opinion on a lot of this is that um, we need to keep our eyes on the prize because to me, as a man, as I, as I mansplain this, you know, I've always felt the big issue in the Me Too movement, at least from my point of view, is about agency and acknowledging as a culture that for too long women have been silenced and they haven't been listened to. And there's been a a collusion and an agreement in society that has fostered that and has caused that. And for on the nightly show, our second episode, we went right after the Cosby situation because that was a prime example. I mean, there wasn't there couldn't have been a more stark example of how women weren't listened to, that these accusations were happening, happened over 30 or 40 years, for goodness sakes, of examples of women, not just one woman, but what was it, 60 at some point, of who just weren't listened to. Not only that, but the accusations were that they were drugged. And so they didn't have a voice in two ways. Society didn't listen to them. And the accusation, Cosby even took away their chance to have a voice. So this is an issue of agency and uh, having a voice, uh, not just for these accusations, not just for abuse, but in society in general, you know. And um, like the whole Time's Up movement, you know, you could also call that stop it. (laughs) Like enough, you know, let's move on for Christ's sakes, you know. 
So to me, I hope that what comes out of this is that we acknowledge that men have to listen better and the society has to do better about acknowledging that women have a voice and that that voice needs to be listened to in a variety of situations where it hasn't been before, you know. So I hope that's where we get to on that. That's what I basically have to say about that because it's more of a general issue. It's hard to get into the specifics of the actual thing because, you know, it's just it's just difficult, you know. But I'm hoping that because the people who are at odds in this, I think agree on the big on the big issue on this. I hope that's where we get to. All right. That's basically what I got. I know Trump's going to do some crazy shit as soon as I, we post this. And then I have to wait a whole week to talk, to talk about it. Ah! But uh, in the meantime, uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Bradley Whitford. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. My guest this week is an old pal yes. from back in the day. Uh, but also, I've been a fan of this gentleman even before I knew him. Uh, most of you know him from the West Wing as Mr. Josh Lyman, an iconic role. But he's in two unbelievable movies this year, uh, Get Out by our buddy Jordan Peele and The Post. Yes, um, very lucky year. With uh, Spielberg at all. At all. Yes, yeah, Mr. Bradley Whitford. Hey, Bradley. Hey, it's it's great to see you. I have, man, it's it really always is. great to see you. <laughs> it really is. Well, the backstory here Bradley and I, our kids went to school together and we've been at dance concerts together. We've been at all of sorts of concerts for yes. almost 20 years. Long time. Yeah. 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 So we've uh, we've done that parent thing. Yes, we have together, and it's nice catching up. It's nice to know your kids are doing well and all that stuff, and and all that. It all goes that fast. Stuff. Time does go fast, uh, doesn't cliches it? Cliches are true. I know it must seem like like yesterday when you did when you started on West Wing, right? I mean, that's gone so fast. Oh my god! Yeah, it all feels weird. I, yeah. Like there's no there's no segue. Yeah. Uh, like you feel like you're kind of a young actor mm-hmm. starting out yeah. and then that you journey. wake up and you're Wilford Brimley. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Now, did you, now did you know Sorkin before you did West Wing? Yes. I, yeah. uh, Aaron Sorkin, Aaron yeah. Sorkin. Mm-hmm. I met Aaron. People always say like if the, they want career advice, like, <laughs> uh, you know, how do you get to the point where you, you're lucky enough to get a job like the West Wing. Sure. And the answer is uh, you play the asshole in Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Nice. Um, which was a part uh, I was snobby about taking. Uh-huh. Uh, long story short, I met Tim Busfield. I became very good friends with Tim, uh, who was one of the original nerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Point Dexter with the with the violin. Uh, he came out of the theater. We went to the Humana Festival in Louisville and became really good friends. Yeah. He ended up replacing Tom Hulse in A Few Good Men. He said to Sorkin, he said, "I think this guy understands your rhythm." Aaron cast me in the play. Uh, first of all, understudying uh, Tim, uh-huh. and then gave me what was the biggest break of my career 
no disrespect to me, but generally as a mm-hmm. as a Broadway play is uh, not selling too well, you bring in a fading television actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, Aaron gave it to me, and I had this surreal experience. My dressing room was at the Music Box Theater. Oh, wow. And it was bigger than my apartment. Yeah. And I actually moved in there with my dog because they had a 24-hour doorman. And as a young actor— what is that like, you know, to have that be your experience? Did you even know, like, how important it was to be in an Aaron Sorkin play? Like, how how even good he was at that point? Did you? I you know? knew, I, I, like, it was the first time somebody, like, kind of had confidence mm-hmm. in me, um, uh, which I think is the hardest thing for young actors to manage. You're always swimming upstream. Yeah against, you know, rejection, you're wrong. And then suddenly there was this uh, this uh, young guy, we didn't know what he was going to become, right. but this was his first play, and it was a, 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 a real uh, joy to perform. Mm-hmm. Terrifying going into a Broadway play. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Do you think it, uh, it really, uh, I think when you start with excellence like that, you know, it really kind of sets the table for where you're going. Like, like you, you know what that difference is, you know, from that point forward, you know. Yes. And it, I, like, I, I, I always, you know, the, the, the key, uh, Alice and Janney is a perfect example mm-hmm. to me of, do you want to, you want to come up with a phenomenal actor. You take someone like Allison. Um, and you don't let her become, uh, famous for, uh, 15 years and you make, (laughs) don't tell her that though. (laughs) No, no, yeah, don't tell her. And and the good thing, she never expected it, but, uh, she was doing eight shows a week, uh, day in, day out, tired. Mm -hmm. Um, and after that you get somebody with all the chops and the sort of effortless uh, joy of that. But it's, it's, uh, you know, it's immersion, it's experience. Sure. Yeah. There is something to be said to have, to be a certain age when you actually make it, you know, when you, when you hit that place where eyes are on you from a very critical standpoint, you know, because a lot of what we do is we're kind of practicing in plain sight. You know, when people really don't know you, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, you are, and you have to have uh, a, a perspective that mm-hmm. allows you to do that, which nobody, including I, have. I just had this sort of idiotic <laughs> persistence <laughs> that, that uh, right. um, you know, a, a capacity for humiliation. Yes, that allows I you think to get we all have that. <laughs> yes. I'd say, especially, you know, because I'm a writer and a performer, it's that combination of sadomasochism, you know, but oh, listen, mostly the, masochism. You know? I, I, there mm-hmm. were, like, the moment— The sadism is what I give to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're, you're working— you're I work. torture the audience while I'm torturing myself. You, you, yeah, you, you watch—I'm going to sadistically make yes. you witness my masochism. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, that, that actually is an interesting <laughs> way to look at that. Right. Yeah. After I, I was playing the Kevin Bacon role and understudying the lead in A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. when, you, when you go into a Broadway play, then I was taking over the lead. 
I you basically rehearse only with the stage manager, and then you get one put-in rehearsal with the entire cast. Wow. It, that, because the, the show's going on. The they really don't have time on. to rehearse. And during that put-in yeah. rehearsal, nobody in the cast wants to be there. Yes. I mean, they're like, oh, God, here oh, we are. Oh, man. And I remember standing backstage before then, just like, why? I, I had thrown up. Mm. I'm about to go on. I have every other line for two and a half hours. And you start to play mind games like, do I know the third line you know, oh, in the in yes. the second act. Oh man! And I was just back there sweating with vomit in my mouth, thinking, <laughs> "What? Why would I allow my life to conspire to bring me yeah. to this moment?" It, it is a, a um, and then of course there's the wonderful thing when. You realize, oh, I'm going to be okay. Yes, and and that is an astonishing transition. Yeah, like stopping hitting your head with a mallet. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> yes, it's that self-loathing cocoon, and you come out and say, "Did you see the second act?" <laughs> right. Did you see me Saturday night? Which show did you see? You well, know? and I, I mean, I still feel this. Um, I don't know. The like. You know, they do that thing at the SAG Awards, like, uh, you know, people stand up and go, mm-hmm. you know, hi, you know, my, my name is Bradley Cooper and I'm proud to be an actor. Sure. I, like, I'm not proud. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> what do you mean you're not proud to be an actor? Like, I, feel, I I'm ambivalent that. about it. I feel like I'm a little bit of... Uh, There's shame in there? What do you mean? I remember, honestly, my earliest memory is seeing my sister in a musical and... I was like, why would anybody put themselves in that position? Uh-huh. And I have this ambivalence of uh, uh, about watching any performer and the fact that I am a performer, uh-huh. I, I'm ambivalent about because it well, feels what, kind of obnoxious. Well, what do you think compelled you to do it then? What, what compels you to do it? I don't, I, I don't know, but it's a battle. To, it's, it's always a battle to and I think most people who know me and hang out with me think, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus, this is uh, an unconflicted, you know, extrovert. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just interesting to me. I I, I, I don't know. I think Are it's you sort self-conscious of a, as an actor? Um, I, I, I tr- it's that I'm self-conscious about being an actor, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's the battle when you're in front of you know if it's 2000 people on broadway mm-hmm. or uh, a film set that has gone quiet and there's a camera pointing at you th- the joy is getting is getting to a place where you're not self-conscious yeah how do you do do you have a relationship with fame cuz like for me i've never did this for the attention i do it for the expression you know, yes. like, like I like making jokes. I like writing jokes. I like telling jokes. Right. You know, make, I like crafting stories, and but I don't need all the attention that comes with it. You know, no, I I find it a bizarre. Um, uh, it's a bizarre thing in my mm-hmm. life. I feel like I get too much attention, although uh, most of it is is very sweet. I think it was Al Pacino who said that uh, fame is the perversion 
of the natural human desire for attention. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it, it and I am grateful that it did not come early because I think that could really throw you off. And uh, I'm grateful that honestly, with me, it's not you know it's not overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, and I see people where it is just absolutely yeah uh, uh, overwhelming, and every interaction they have, they have to wait. Yeah. For the person to get over the fact that they are meeting, you know, them. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, it's another thing I guess I'm ambivalent about. Yeah. I want to – getting back to The West Wing, it almost seemed like that show was also like a – when it started, because I think it started in like 99, but you guys probably started maybe the pilot in 98 maybe or? We did it in 90, I think we did it in 99. 99? Yeah. yeah. There was this sense that you didn't want to do uh, wisecracking Democrats mm. in the wake of Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, it seemed to be a comment on the Clinton presidency at first, almost like here's the – Here's what we'd like to see. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. We'd like a president like President Bartlett who would never do what Clinton did. That, right. That's and what it seemed I, like at first to me. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's really interesting. And yeah. like we'll talk about – I'm sure we'll talk about sure. Get Out at some point. Absolutely. Though, but, but, you know, West Wing was uh, – uh, was if it was lecturing anybody initially, it was lecturing yes. Bill Clinton. I, I com- completely agree. And, th- and then yes. it became in this moment where, th- sadly, the only upright Democrats were fictional. Yeah, it became this alter you know alternative story. It re- you know it really did during the uh, Bush years. It became yes. almost an alternative universe. Yes, <laughs> yes. liberal yeah. porn, yeah. progressive yes. porn, exactly. It it seems to me, uh, and I uh, I love that you're very involved in politics and causes and that kind of stuff. But it seems like, and West Wing kind of did this too. Like liberals always want that idealized um, Bartlett type of candidate, you know, and more than conservatives. It seems like conservatives are happy to have whoever's getting the job done. <laughs> like <laughs> this is what drives me nuts. Yeah. About- I mean, do you think that's true? You know, like they want that like Obama was that messiah. And I'm like, he's just a politician from Chicago. This I was, this yeah. drives me insane with my family members. I go back mm-hmm. to Wisconsin where I'm from, uh every campaign cycle and I and I see this um, I've seen what's unfolded in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I, as a progressive activist, my exasperation mm-hmm. – look, you know, if you think, you know, we should build a wall and stop these people from these shithole com- countries coming here, I, I, we're not going to be able to have a conversation. Right. The people who drive me nuts are the progressives because – the progressives actually have a reality show psychology. We want to fall in love. <laughs> we want everything. And yeah. and and Obama comes along and we're in love. Yeah. And and we're just meeting him. And oh my God. Yeah. He's gonna fix it. He's gonna walk across the reflecting pond and give us everything we want. And then my progressive friends. You know, one year into this this guy governing a country where sixty yeah. percent of the people think the world started, you know, five thousand years ago, doesn't get everything they want. My mm-hmm. progressive friends are saying we didn't get, you know, single payer. He's a Republican. Yeah, 
Here's a story. I remember that. That's, I, what, that's why I said I voted for Obama because he was black. I didn't have all these yeah, you like, didn't, you hosannas. Didn't, that you, was enough for me. <laughs> yeah, enough. it's like Matt Damon's like, are you disappointed in Obama? I said, is he still black? <laughs> then he's doing a fucking awesome job. As long as he keeps doing that, I'm cool. I'll yeah. tell you an Obama story, and th- and it, with this is part of the reason I hate the left. Mary Burke. Uh-huh. Who ran against? And when you uh, say hate the left, I know you mean you're frustrated. I'm frustrated. I yes. love them like family, yes. but uh, but mm-hmm. uh, this was the last midterm. Mm-hmm. So three and a half years ago, Mary Burke is running against Scott mm-hmm. Walker, one of the great minds of the Wisconsin. 13th century in Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> and I think even the 13th century <laughs> would have some issues. And what is this? The 9th century? <laughs> the Scott Walker guy. <laughs> she was, if not the only, one of the very few uh-huh. in the last midterm cycle who would be seen with Barack Obama. Mm. And I got to talk to him a little, just a, a little bit. Uh, and I was like, does this drive you nuts? Yeah. Um, and he goes, eh, you know, Thinking of calling my book, What's a Brother Got to Do? <laughs> <laughs> but we, <laughs> looking at what we have yeah. now. I, you, and, uh, and both sides, by the way, both parties have that capacity to eat their own and to throw out what's right in front of them. You know, the, yes. you know, the Republicans are doing it right now as we speak. You know, it just happened in Alabama. Right. Choosing the worst candidate possible. Oh, my God. They thought they could duplicate what they did with the presidency. But, but anyhow, go ahead. One more thing I want to say, that, and this is just an observation from, you know, doing celebrity sure. lubrication on issues and stuff. Celebrity uh, lubrication? Celebrity lubrication. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We could sell it. Um, <laughs> what's your merch situation? Yes, I'm thinking, is that good black in the air swag? I'm trying to figure that out. No, but uh, the uh, the right for all their hypocrisy about small governments mm-hmm. um, actually understands what I believe to be true, which is government is the way, is the way you create your moral vision. On the left, we. Mm-hmm who supposedly believe that we need an activist, an Mm -hmm. active government to make sure that our political world is fair Mm -hmm. and creating equal opportunity. We don't believe that politics is the way we create our moral vision. We think it's culture. Mm -hmm. And the right, they lose an election, they run for the school board, they start a think tank. We lose an election, we go, the system's corrupt. I'm not going to participate. Yeah. You can have will and grace all you want, but you got to, you know, you got to get through the Supreme Court. You got to follow through. Yeah. Did, um, were you an activist before West Wing or did West Wing kind of like almost open, not open your eyes, but you know what I mean? Make you more aware of like, hey, maybe I should be more involved in things. Did, did it, I, I, I did had, it have that experience? I had an ambivalence about it. I grew up, my family was Quaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they were in the oats business. Thank they're, you very they're much. In the oats business. Yeah. Quakers mm-hmm. are not Amish. That's a common, mm-hmm. common, common mistake. Yes. Um, I was going to say we, common is Amish. Really? Common is Sorry, Amish. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, uh, so basically, Quakers believe in two things. There's no intermediary between you and your experience of the divine and social action. Okay. So uh, I didn't know that first part. Oh. So when I was a kid, you know, we were 
you know, talking about juvenile detention issues mm-hmm. um, uh, and stuff like that. My brother was a conscientious objector. My brother For is uh, uh, older than me, and there was a moment where he was arrested by the FBI. Wow. He could have made it very easy for himself. He's a birthright Quaker. Basically, you just have to say, I'm a birthright Quaker, and I'm a pacifist. And uh, and you're cool. He said, uh, I'm a birthright Quaker, but I would have fought against Hitler. My my objection to this war is political. Uh He subjected himself uh, to uh, a prison term, which ultimately he got uh, alternative service so the consequences, I remember my mom weeping, thinking my brother was going to, you know, uh, uh-huh. go to jail. I remember uh, this was uh, first coming into consciousness in a Quaker meeting with the war in Vietnam going on, uh-huh. where even I thought I must be getting a slanted picture. There must be a reason that adults would conduct a war, well-meaning people, yeah. and then – with the Pentagon Papers, uh, uh, and certainly in retrospect, it was worse than, yeah. uh, th- than you know, even a, a Quaker could have thought. So I always felt active. If anything, with West Wing, I felt self-conscious mm-hmm. because my eyes would roll when I would hear Ben Affleck talk about trade in China, yeah. you know, and there's – and I totally understand that response uh, – to uh, people uh, who, you know, who are in show business. But Mm -hmm. the real thing was having kids. The real thing was having kids Hmm. at the the moment um, we were going to war in Iraq, which seemed like an insane uh, thing to happen and an insane response. That was the thing that really triggered it and made me think, I, I don't care if people think I'm an idiot. Yeah. And I would often, I would always say, look, you know, I'm not here because I'm a, you know, I wear makeup for a living. Yes, I'm <laughs> here because I'm a parent. Yeah. Um, Do you think there's a risk to an actor being an activist? Because for some people, I, you know, part of, of what we call acting in theater is always that willing suspension of disbelief, right? And for a lot of people, that can be taken away, especially if they disagree with the person you know, whether it doesn't matter what side you're on, it's the disagreement that sometimes causes, you know, that reaction of, I don't like that person anymore. Is it, do you, how big yeah, of a risk do you think that is for actors to put themselves out there? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I get I get impatient with uh, people, especially lately. Like, if... if if you're not if if you're not gonna speak up m- m- now, mm-hmm. uh, um, if you're not gonna speak up about somebody who launches their career, but you know on birtherism, mm. uh, then I, I do get to a frustrated place where I'm like, uh, how can you not speak up? We are always being told to, you know, actors are always being told, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. To shut up by other celebrities, you know, celebrities like self-appointed, you know, O'Reilly or Sean Hannity, uh-huh. these self-appointed, <laughs> uh, you know, celebrities will tell other celebrities they need to shut up. My, I always right. say there's nothing less democratic than telling people to shut up. So shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um you separate I have really that. conservative. Yeah. Like Ron Silver was a human being who I absolutely love, disagree with sure. vehemently. If uh, if I would hire him in a you know in mm-hmm. a second, 
Yeah. Um, you brought up the the post, you know, which, by the way, congratulations. And congratulations for being in two amazing movies. It's so uh, lucky. It really is yeah. lucky. I, like This year. A year ago, I had seen Get Out, mm-hmm. which it stunned me, but the thought that it would hit the chord that it hit. Yeah. Um, uh, and the post wasn't even greenlit yet a year ago. Really? When did you guys shoot? In the summer? It got greenlit in April. And uh, Wait, how is there a pause with the names Spielberg, Streeps, Streep, Hanks? There was there was <laughs> no pause. What happened was Liz Hanna wrote the script. Uh-huh. Uh, Amy Pascal, um, I think in February, it was on the blacklist. Amy Pascal read it. Got it to Spielberg. Spielberg was in production on another movie, Mm -hmm. uh, but didn't feel like he had cast it uh, perfectly. Read the script, got extremely excited, called Hanks. Hanks said yes. Streep said yes. Wow. Um, It was kind of an impulsive move for Spielberg, who usually deliberates a lot. Right. Uh, yeah, although that's an interesting – it's an interesting thing about him, mm-hmm. shooting with him uh, that surprised me mm-hmm. is he – I expected him to be a storyboarder who yeah. wanted to know exactly what he was doing when he came in. Hitchcockian. And, and he's not that way. Mm-hmm. He he likes uh, He likes to call – uh, audibles. Yeah. He'll find stuff while you're shooting. He will not sit down a week before. He will set things up so that he can sit there in the morning and be innocent to the moment. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually found him very responsive. He realized, I want to make this movie now. Mm-hmm. With There's a er- sense of urgency. There, there was a sense of, of urgency, which was a fun atmosphere in the movie because you can judo that yeah. urgency, you know, in, into a newsroom energy uh, uh, very easily. But, yeah, this happened really, really quick. Yeah, and your character, he was kind of a made-up character, I think, right? Yes, or, yes. 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 It's very funny to me that, uh, like— Because I, we have—the reason why I say this, because, of course, there are real people. <laughs> everybody is real in the movie, I think, yeah. except for me. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's very funny to me that, like, I'm like a <laughs> sin in a morality play. Like, that's my career. I'm racism. I'm yeah. sexism. Yeah. Uh, you know, and— you, you got to play what you know, Brad. You got to play yeah. what you know. Infidelity, Bradley <laughs> right. Whitford. Celebrity lubrication. <laughs> Celebrity lubrication. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, um, uh, yeah, this guy was put together. It was very funny with Spielberg because y- it always makes me laugh. Like, uh, you go to a very secure place over mm-hmm. at Amblin, like, to read this script. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. And, you know, you sign in, you you, you have to sign a yeah. non-disclosure thing. That's you know, great. They delouse you and you're taken de-louse into the room. You, you take the Silkwood shower. Yeah, yeah you take the Silkwood <laughs> shower. And it read mm-hmm. the script and it was amazing. And then, oh my, I didn't know he was going to be there, but Spielberg walks in and he yeah. says, can you talk? And I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> um, and he said, this is a made-up guy. Uh, this is an amalgamation of of the sort of business interests uh, 
mm-hmm. that uh, she was facing, and you know, for dramatic purposes. Talking about Catherine Graham. Yes, mm-hmm. and. The funny thing was, you know, it's a verbal, high-paced script. Yeah. Uh, and I said, uh, great. What, he, and and he, he, first of all, he said, uh, I like it when I don't know it's you when you enter a movie. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, he said, so do something. I'm like, okay. Uh, and like, That's interesting. That's an interesting thing like, to say. What did like, he mean by that? I, when I don't know it's you, like, did he mean that you specifically, Bradley Whitford, or yes. you in general, a famous person? Like, uh, he does, if it's if somebody who he's already familiar with, he he wants the experience of them just being a person first. Is that what he's saying? I, I guess I I, I think so. Uh-huh. I, th- I think he was going for that. He said he liked that little second, and I was like, okay. So he said, so something. I don't know what it is, but you know. And I don't want to know you're trying to change yourself, mm-hmm. uh, but it'd be great to not know it was you just for a second. I'm like, okay. Um, and he said, you know, and something with your voice, but I don't want to know you're like doing an accent. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so technical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was like. Anything else? And I was like, so sort of like a half ask scent. <laughs> uh, uh, and he goes, I just want it to be a little, um, you know, a, a little different. I, and I was like, great. And it's so very. Like maybe there's a Nazi buried inside there deep somewhere. I mean, I don't know. Go some, for it. Some little <laughs> yeah. secret. Something, yeah. Yeah, it made me I, – I, I, A little Nazi lisp. I joked yeah. with him that I want to come in with some huge physical disability oh because everybody God. sees – strange love. Everybody yeah, right. who sees the – yeah, like a wooden arm. Yeah. Everybody who sees the movie assumes I'm real. Yes. So I could do anything. Of co- absolutely. I could just tear my pinky off and <laughs> light it like a cigarette. Um, uh, so then I go, uh, okay, uh, this is great. When do we rehearse? And he goes, oh, I don't like to rehearse. And I go, oh. Okay. Um, he's he's like, yeah, Meryl really wants to rehearse, but I don't like to rehearse. And I'm like, oh, I love that there's there's I, there's some uh, story going on here. And I'm like, Meryl, Meryl really likes it. There's a little side eye going on with Street. I, I, yeah, I, and I'm like, oh. And and then I go, well, when's the read through? Because as you know, yes. read through is where Very like. Very important. First of all, it's yes. where uh, 90% of the actors read the script for the one and only time. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and and when you also go, oh, I didn't know that happened. <laughs> yes. You know, you get a sense of the story. And, yes. and, and, and Spielberg goes. That's what my character is? Oh, sorry. I had a yeah, different Yeah, I didn't take. realize that. Uh, and Spielberg goes, oh, no, I, I, I hate read-throughs. Really? And, and I was like laughing. I was like, he's like, and again, he goes, yeah, Meryl really wants one, but I and I'm like, she's Meryl Streep. You should give her read through. I, I said, why so. don't you like read throughs? And he, laughing, said, um, uh, because it gives everyone the impression that this process is more democratic than it really is. Wow. But he was laughing. Very interesting. But, um, and he, and by the way, I, the interesting huh. thing about working with him is I can't imagine a more collaborative, like, uh, it's just weird with him. There's no yeah. distance between, you know, the whispers in his brain and the technology that makes it happen. That's uh, fascinating. And yeah. he's super, uh, you would get, um, 
like, I, I guess it's not a surprise, but I just mean in terms of performance, not in terms mm-hmm. of filmmaking. Um, he'll he'll go. I like how you uh, lost that second thought for a second. Like he's like, and you're like, oh wow, this. You this, know, he doesn't miss a beat. He right? doesn't miss a beat, and he yeah. shoots really fast, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And again, even Merrill's like. Can we ease into it? Like, let Meryl do. <laughs> yes, please. Wow, that's interesting. She, by the way, is the sweetest, yeah. hilarious, sweet. Yeah. You know, you know, should we run this? You know. Uh-huh. No, Meryl. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You're already trying to get us to rehearse and, yeah. and do a table read. <laughs> now what? you want to prepare. Yeah, now you want to prepare. What's wrong? No, with but you? it's really interesting to me. I, I did a, a an Eastwood movie, which is like you don't even know the camera's on and it shoots. Uh-huh. What happens is if you go in knowing your grandchildren may see the first take, mm-hmm. you go in ready. Yes. And uh, you're also, uh, is there a little bit of. I mean, I I won't say fear, but I mean Eastwood Spielberg. Oh yeah, you want yeah. your you want your stuff to be tight when you're coming out there because it doesn't yeah, get it, doesn't it, get bigger and more. And by yeah. and by the way, if you're doing a take, uh, you, you know Spielberg is completely kind to everybody. Yeah, um, to everybody, uh, which I think is really important to emphasize. Mm-hmm. As is Jordan. To everybody, yeah. not just like kissing cast ass, yes. but nice to the Teamsters kids. Yeah. Like uh, the idea that that you you got to be a monster yeah. to create interesting work uh, needs yeah. needs to be um, needs to be squelched. But like Spielberg is absolutely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you do a take and and it's like, yeah, I felt like you kind of lost it, like you, you know, there. Watching every one of these like wonderful actors go through that yeah. first experience yeah. of not being coddled and uh, right. right, and then you see them just like get over it and go, oh yeah, we're just working. It's just like we're working, yeah, we're working on play. So I he creates that, kind of a safe environment by removing artifice in terms of how he's speaking to you. It's an absolutely yeah. direct exchange there's no manipulation yeah. this was the, uh, this was true of jordan too we're not going to trick you to get anywhere yeah, yeah yeah and it is in both of them i mean this is something i really a, a really secure director and directors are under tremendous tremendous pressure mm-hmm. but a very secure director does not want the actor to think that the director knows how they should play the part because if if they want the actor to have the ownership mm-hmm. uh which gives them initiative there's two atmospheres you can work in one is i can't wait to see what you're going to do and the other is please don't fuck this up yes and that's true in all professions i think mm-hmm. and the very secure directors are watching and getting excited by what they're seeing. Very insecure directors. It's like parenting. It's like our control freaks who don't give the kids what they deserve, which is the right to surprise the parents, you know? Yeah. That's a great way to put it, you know, for all you all you actors out there, <laughs> you know, listen. It's funny. Uh, well, it's funny, though, because I Cause always— there's so much insecurity that goes with it. Well, listen, I yeah. always say—like, I am. I don't think I am known as a, you know, titanic prick on a set. I'm actually mm-hmm. 
more of a Lusitania prick? No, or? no. I, <laughs> just staying in the same era. Stay, yeah, what. the shipping pricks. <laughs> yes. It's a good band the ships name. Ships that have sunk. Yes. Um, no, but uh, like, if anything, in a way, I kind of disrespect about myself. My insecurity mm-hmm. makes me sort of a, like a Labrador puppy on a set. Okay. But if I am totally honest, any time. And I think this is true for almost every actor. Anytime any director has ever said anything to me, and mm-hmm. directors I love and respect, I go through three silent beats. Fuck you. I suck. Okay, what? <laughs> that's that's awesome. That that should be the title of your book for actors. <laughs> <laughs> completely but that's I, awesome but, but I really but it really yeah. and I noticed it when I directed just a little which I'm hoping to do more of uh-huh. is I know that that is what is going on and it is mm-hmm. inevitable because an actor is out on a limb going you know I, I hope this works and then you're going mm, okay yeah uh, and you need them God you need them I think to be a good director you have to be an empathetic dictator is what you are, you know. I, I read all these, yeah. like, I, I was going to direct, I read all these directing books. I yeah. got on the set, and I realized, oh, this is parenting. Yeah. Like, all those parenting books of, like, you want to give a lot of reinforcement mm-hmm. because, you know, everybody there is is vulnerable. You want to give structure without... Uh, um, atrophying their initiative yeah uh it, it was really interesting to me that it that yeah. it was like it's it's a lot like dog whispering i think you know right well <laughs> you know? i always say like when, when they go cut and a director goes okay what are we doing next i'm always like field the seal feed the seals baby yeah. it's like <laughs> you know chuck some chuck some minnows out here <laughs> i know exactly the feeling you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you gotta feed, feed, the feed or, or, or. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's great. Hey guys, let's take a quick break to hear a word from one of our sponsors. All right, and now back to my conversation with Brantley Whitford. One more question about the uh, post. Uh, besides, I'm glad you talked about what it was like working. Did you? Uh, uh, have scenes with Hanks as well. Yeah, yeah. Had yeah. you worked I, with him before? Uh, I did. Uh-huh. I, I have known him through. Um, uh, I was I played his assistant in Philadelphia. Oh, okay, right yeah. as he was sort of exploding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was his first real breakthrough as a dramatic actor. Yes, I think, it was. Right? Yeah. Um, and I did Saving Mr. Banks with him about by the way four or five years ago. I really love Saving Mr. Banks. I love that movie. Really too. good movie. Yeah, I love that too. Um, and then I did this, and I got to tell you, uh, Tom is. Uh, nothing has changed. He mm-hmm. uh, he is incredibly kind. Yeah. Uh, to everybody uh, is incredibly generous with uh, every actor. All those guys in the newsroom. Tom is the guy saying, "Let's get together," you know, so uh, you know, so, so that we can be ready. He's gone behind Spielberg's back and like we're you know uh-huh. rehearsing. <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, it's like we're hiding. Like Don't Mer- Mer- yeah. Meryl Streep's yeah. like, can we go behind this pillar and run this without Stephen yeah. watching? Uh, I got you. <laughs> I got you. I got you, Meryl. I got yeah, you. I got you, Meryl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go rehearse. What are uh, you doing? Rehearsing. <laughs> we're, I'm sorry. We're rehearsing. Um, uh, 
but uh, yeah, Tom and Tom loves it. Tom mm-hmm. loves his set. Yeah, I, 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 it was funny. It was totally bewildering to him because Daniel Day Lewis. We were shooting, and Daniel Day Lewis was saying uh, that he wanted to retire, mm-hmm. and Tom was like, "Why would you retire? Like this is like the greatest hang." I mean, he has yeah. the. He has the psychology of gratitude. Yeah. I think if you're going to be in it the long term, if you don't adopt that, it's, I don't know what your point is, uh, really, because you're just going to be miserable. I mean, Tom is why also would you very that? aware of, on Mr. Banks one day, he just, I don't know, some celebrity did some idiotic thing mm-hmm. and ended their career. And... <laughs> <laughs> it could have been any day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was just before taking time. So, yeah, never forget. It's never too late to destroy your life. Wow. So I think he's just, cognizant of how lucky he is, yeah. and and he doesn't take it for granted. So what an experience. But then also, Get Out, you know, another great movie this year. And you work with uh, Jordan Peele, who now— is the opposite end of the Spielberg spectrum. He's at the beginning of this career of directing. You know, this is the first film he's directed. Yes. And to have such a, an interesting vision in that, what what was that process like? Did you guys have rehearsal for that at all? Was Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we did in a, uh, you know, in a good way. I, I mean, I... I always say if there's any tragedy mm-hmm. about Get Out, it, it is that Jordan... Uh, does never wants to act again, and I think Jordan is. Oh, he's hilarious. A, a a profoundly wonderful actor, and you see them mm-hmm. uh, off uh, in comedy, like the the depth yeah. that he brings. So I was begging for years, like. Uh, to my agents, I just want to do anything on Keen Peel, anything. Like, I, I was upset when that ended. Uh, my son George is the biggest Keen. <laughs> we bonded on yeah. uh, over Keen Peel. Uh, and then I heard this movie was coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no, like, people ask me now, like, do you, you know, what is it you love about the horror genre? I don't go out and watch horror yeah. movies. They n- never sort of sang to me. I knew Jordan <laughs> was doing it. I assumed he was acting in it. I read the script and I was, I had no idea it was going to do this, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I said, wow, this is, it, it's what I call a forehead knocker. You get mm-hmm. them like once a decade of like, yes, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't anybody, and Jordan would talk about this. Horror movies are about stuff you can't talk about, sex, death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was confused about why after Night of the Living Dead, there really hasn't been a big attempt to press our difficulty with race through the horror genre. And it was weird because Night of the Living Dead, which has a black protagonist, which uh, uh, was a movie that I happened to see a bunch of times when when I was in high school going to the film series at University of Wisconsin. So I had a connection to that. I met with him. um, uh, Did we, uh, people always say, did you know Mm -hmm. that this was going to explode like this? Uh, And this was a $4 million movie. Yeah. 
Um, how long was the shoot? Or how long? Was I think it was 21 days. It was mm-hmm. really short. Super, mm-hmm. super quick. It was originally supposed to shoot in LA. Mm-hmm. And I have kids, and I was like, look, uh, oh, if it's in LA, I'll do it. You know, I won't not make money. And leave my kids yeah. because, you know, it, this was a very— For these types of films, for yeah, what he's saying no, is actors get paid scale usually for these things because yes. they're like— yeah, You in, probably lose money going, yeah. it, it, you know, if it's out of town, but it was in town. <laughs> then we found out two weeks before we lost our film credit, it's in Alabama. And honestly, there was a moment of like, oh, I wow. can't leave my kids, mm-hmm. you know, and then I—but I, I knew I wanted—and uh, I, I loved— uh, Truly love Jordan. Um, and most of it was shot on location in Alabama? Yeah. In oh, okay. Fair, at Fair Hope, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Fair Hope. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Those are two interesting words, Alabama. <laughs> oh, man. I, I got to tell you, like, uh, I'm up there doing this, like, auctioning scene, which was yeah. very creepy and difficult to sure. do. Uh, was that the, that bingo scene? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I asked Jordan about that. I interviewed him. I said... Jordan, that sounds that looks like something that you guys didn't even know quite what the rules were. Because <laughs> even I, some of the things Bradley was doing, like with his hands, I'm like, what does that even mean? If I had, first of all, if we had any idea that this movie was going to be a tenth as successful as it was, yeah. none of us in the cast would have been in it. Uh-huh. Uh, Jordan would not have been allowed to direct it. And we would have been so riddled with fear anxiety. and uh, yeah, and yeah. anxiety about being sort of, uh, you know, over over interpreted. Like people send me these things about like, um, uh, you know, dialogue about the the deer at the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh And the way I remember it, you know, I was, you know, right before take, you know, I was going. You know, I just said to Jordan, can I just go off a little bit on, like, deer? Like, I really hate deer. You know, and then, you know, somebody in some, you know, African-American studies, you know, is, like, writing about, like, deer imagery. That's hilarious. I love the things that people pick out as having meaning when they're like, oh, I don't know. It's just like an afterthought many times. Right. Or it's convenient. The things that you choose that are convenient in movies that become thoughtful later are amazing. yeah, yeah, yeah. But did we know, um, did we know while we were doing it, Mm -hmm. I I thought it was a brilliant idea. I I have done this enough to know, to be very suspicious if you think a shoot went well, because often you go and it just sits there. I saw it at the uh, Sundance uh, screening at midnight and it was a big surprise. And I think people thought, Oh, it's Jordan. Uh, this is going to be really funny. It's very interesting seeing this movie with different audiences. Yeah. Uh, but when I saw it for the first time, uh, I, I was like, Jesus, that souffle rose, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that I have, never never seen in my career and i realized that jordan you know really had a voice mm-hmm. and this was not a movie that was cut together you know taken apart re-edited like jordan uh jordan really understood uh, I saw things he was doing that I that that I that I did not. Do you, from a cultural perspective, 
Did you look at any of that and go, wow, as a white person, that's interesting. You know, I didn't think about that or I never had that perspective. Or did any of those things ever <laughs> occur to you at all looking at that? Or yeah, Yes. Or, or, uh, or no, maybe I, watching it with the audience to have that experience go, oh, that's an interesting reaction. <laughs> I never thought of that because sometimes things occur when you're watching it of how people are reacting to Dynamics and that yes. sort of thing. Well, you know? when you see it with a black audience, it's very fun. Uh, a it, black audience knows it's a comedy. White audiences are convinced it's only a horror film. <laughs> uh, yeah. yes. No, I know. It was so funny because, like, things that, 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 uh, um, I saw it in Baldwin Hills and, uh, oh, that's great. Man, and, I wish I had seen it there. And, um, he says, Have you told your parents I'm black? And she goes, Should I? Yes! <laughs> like, the, just this yes. huge, yes! And the entire audience is basically Lil Rel, you know? <laughs> oh, they're all... They're all Lil Rel. They're, 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 all, they're all Lil Rel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, and the amazing thing that Jordan did, I, 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 he ended up changing... You know about him changing yes, the last about moment. the ending, yeah. And by the way, for those of you that haven't seen Get Out, please go see it. Um, I, I'm sure you could get it either on iTunes or stream it somewhere or whatever. But it, please go see that. The post is still playing at the theaters, but do yourself a favor and see this. Uh, it, it, it is. Uh, I, I I look back. It's a miracle. It is a miracle to make a million for uh, make a movie for four million dollars. Yeah. It is a miracle to direct your uh, first movie. Uh-huh. It is impossible, and it is to create. What he, the choice he made in that last moment goes to what he is doing with the entire movie. Mm-hmm. This is we are not serving civic vegetables. We are taking you on uh, a joyous, terrifying ride. Yeah, uh, it is ferociously entertaining, which is its power, and it's in that last moment he was talking about why. He, why he changed it. And when the, when a white audience sees a black man with a bunch of dead white bodies Mm -hmm. and a, uh, the red lights of a police car and the siren come up, when, when that door opens and you realize it's not the cops, you burst out laughing. And in that moment, you have made every uh, person in the audience acknowledge the fact that uh, uh, police are a danger to black men. Mm-hmm. You're not telling them that, yeah. But 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 you're you know you're we are we are we are with him on that, and we're not lecturing it. We're doing it in a very funny way, and that is his genius. It's kind of Spielberg's genius too yeah and it's interesting i was talking with jordan because they're they're clarity freaks mm-hmm. they're they're clarity jordan was saying that i thought this was interesting that that's one of my favorite words by the way what oh clarity it's i live for that yeah well mm-hmm. well it's a very interesting thing uh, mm-hmm. in the theater Peter Brook, this brilliant avant-garde theater director, came to talk when I was in acting school. And someone, in a kind of condescending way, said, "What's you know, what what, do you, what have you loved seeing in New York?" And he said, uh, "I really loved Sugar Babies, mm-hmm. which was this 
idiotic vaudeville. Yeah, Mickey Rooney. Mickey yeah. Rooney. And everybody was like, why? And he said, I'm, he said, I don't like, um, he said, I don't like art that says, fuck you, understand me. I like art that is generous. And mm. after seeing a lot of obscure art that ultimately I felt was sort of arrogant and sloppy, yeah. here was a guy saying, we're going to tell you when to laugh. We're going to tell you when to do this. And Jordan and Spielberg uh, uh, are generous, mm -hmm. and generous filmmakers. Yeah. And, and want to entertain you. Yeah. they yes. And Sorkin was like this too. Sorkin mm -hmm. is like, um, uh, it was funny because I, I said this to Spielberg after, after I saw the movie because people think West Wing was like, uh, that Aaron was this very serious guy, you know, serving civic vegetables. <laughs> He's the opposite. He yeah. is a desperately uh, impatient showman. He's like, mm -hmm. oh God, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to keep your attention. I want to, I'm going to give you these funny characters. I'm going to make you laugh. I swear to God, act four, I'm going to take you to this emotional place. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was, I felt like that was a real, I was saying this to Spielberg about like the collision of an impatient showman with these complicated stories is yeah. a great collision. They're not lectures. Yeah. Um, and they get at people in a much deeper way. And it was funny because he started laughing. He's like, we're greedy. We're <laughs> greedy. Yeah. We, you know, we're greedy storytellers. It's like and P.T. Barnum had talent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Jordan, one thing he said was, uh, he said it's interesting. Horror is very much like comedy. It's like uh, uh, set up without anticipating get make make the moment get pregnant yeah. and then boom and it's either a you know a laugh or a scream and there's also that agreement with the audience you know you have an agreement that i'm not don't worry i'm not going to screw you wait something good's going to happen <laughs> that we're all going to like i'm going to take you i'm there. not going to screw you on this cuz once you you screw them in the wrong way they don't trust you anymore right you know that's both with comedy and horror have that type of thing it's like and the audience like if it's comedy, just keep making me keep making me laughing, motherfucker, in the way that I want to laugh. And, well, I think and with I, horror, it's like don't cheat. That's what the audience says in horror: don't cheat. Whatever you do, don't right, cheat. Right, right. You know, <clears throat> right. And mm -hmm. I, honestly, while we're shooting it, my biggest fear in that mm -hmm. Daniel Kaluuya in that. Oh, he was brilliant. Uh, uh, he, he was amazing. The brilliance of that performance, that emotional dilation. Yeah. The way you stay with him, my biggest fear through that is how much fun are we going to have with the audience going get out mm -hmm. before the audience goes, oh, come on, get out. Mm -hmm. And with Daniels, with the depth of his uh, emotional performance. Also, going back to your question, yes, it hit me in a profound way. Mm -hmm. Uh uh, I, I mean, even like, <laughs> I am a human being who has said to a number of black people, Jesus, I mean, I would have voted for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am that, 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 that idiot. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, I do say it to white people, too. Yes, I um, understand. But I experienced in that movie... Uh, and it almost goes, I don't want to d d diminish 
that it this is clearly about about race, but it mm-hmm. got to a very profound uh, idea about uh, uh, about otherness. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, and uh, inclusion, and 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 you know, the delicacy of fitting in without losing yourself. It goes to some. Mm-hmm. Very, very uh, deep, deep stuff yeah, about Get Out has, has so much in it. I mean, just from a historical standpoint, I mean, with the possible exception of Django Unchained, you know, there have not been movies in the history of cinema where a black protagonist is able to brutally kill white people and he's the hero. That has never happened. Yes. It Listen, just doesn't happen. Society I, says, no, sorry. We don't like that. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, before the movie came <clears throat> out, um, I was there was a, a on social media. I started g- getting stuff from you know basically white nationalists, wow, uh, uh, people, and I thought there would be a big dust up mm-hmm. uh, about it. And I actually think if the movie had come out. A little bit later, mm-hmm. at a time when um, white nationalists were feeling, you know, powerful enough to buy torches and march, mm-hmm. I think it 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 could have been, uh, you know, even more politicized. Yeah. One thing, I'm, um, God, thanks so much for being. I'm having so much. Bradley, you're one of those people I could talk to forever, but I know we have to go. But anyhow, before we go, I just wanted to ask you. This is coming now. Things are coming full circle. Uh, I heard that uh, you and some other members of the West Wing cast are going to do a reading of All the President's Men. Yes. Is that true? Yeah. That is true. That's amazing to me. I mean, it's it's amazing because having started on West Wing, having just done The Post, everything that we're going through as a country right now. and But All the President's Men is one of my all-time favorite me too. films. And he's one of my all-time favorite directors. Uh, I worked with him. Did you really? Yeah, Presumed Innocent was like my, Oh, that's right. I, he's that's right. the sweetest guy in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Parallax View was one of my favorite movies during that Brilliant too. guy. Yeah. Um, All the President's Men is kind of the sister movie, I guess you could say, to The Post in yeah. some ways. Yeah, oh, listen. You know, I, you or, know, or it's it, the grandfather in in some ways. But it's interesting to me. I don't want to talk, uh, you know, I have too much time about this, but, you know, that's all I can— It's. I was thinking of that as I'm watching your movie too, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the post post is about a couple of things. The post yeah. is about um, uh, uh, the First Amendment. I always say, like, you know, it's not the third or the eleventh. Mm-hmm. It's number one. <laughs> like, like, yes. like the the, right. the founding fathers were like, this is the most yeah. important uh, uh, thing that we want to get out there. Yeah, slavery took a while. That's yeah, a- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in the double digits. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the double- <laughs> Once we get the double digits, we'll, <laughs> we'll deal with slavery. We'll deal with the slavery. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, forget women, forget black <laughs> Yes. Well, we'll forget the indigenous one, people. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. Right. But the press. Right. Um, you know what's also very uh-huh. funny to me? Um, like, the, and I'll get back to that, but the, okay. the, the Post is about 
you know, it is this love sto- story to uh, mm-hmm. the, the printing. Sure. The, 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 print, the printed right. media. There's a lot of printing porn shots in that. In that oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're like bullets yes, or, exactly. or penises <laughs> or I don't know. Right. Um, what's Which was very, beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Beautifully shot. Yeah. What's yeah. funny to me is I go through all this anxiety about, you know, social media, my mm-hmm. kids, the way we do things. So here we are and we are fetishizing nostalgically the printing press. Yes. Well, I guarantee you that uh, <laughs> when the guy invented the printing press – like a bunch of monks came down going, <laughs> I just memorized this whole fucking book. Like, right. What's your problem? Like, what, you're just going to give it out? What about the human interaction? And the other monks are like, you know you're not supposed to be talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially not yes. swearing. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to, like, like it's all sure. relative. My grandmother right. wept about the telephone because nobody wrote letters and cars right. destroyed communities. You know, we are in this constant, uh, um, uh, adjustment. Uh, but yeah, it is about a woman finding her voice mm-hmm. and it is uh, uh, about the press reass- reasserting its uh, its voice. And I want especially young people to understand that this is this attack on the very idea, this uh, Orwellian attack on, on, on the idea of truth is a uh, very dangerous yeah. uh, manipulation. And uh, it's just astonishing that we are watching the uh, – you know the, the press being 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 attacked has become a strategy. Yeah. Um, and I I I am optimistic, uh, but we certainly need to uh, stand up to this insanity. So we're we're going to read through that Sound, old movie. Sounds good. Well, the post's kind of a love letter to the press. All the president's men is a letter from the press. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Right. Uh, But it is interesting. And, uh, you know, it was was very interesting after Get Out, um, you know, sitting there on the set uh, with my close personal friend Meryl Streep. And we're like looking at each other and we're going, this is all white people. Oh, in the post. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Believe me, I think that anytime <laughs> I see that stuff, that never gets past me. You know, uh, yeah. But, but uh, in, in, in a way, uh, you know, that I am, I, you know, my experience of, of, of Get Out certainly, uh, certainly made me more aware of that. Well, thank you. Um, thanks so much for being here, Brian. I really appreciate it. And I would. It. It's always great I want you to me. know I would. You would vote for Obama third for a third term. Yeah, you would? Yeah, Seriously? I would. I just I want, I want you to know that. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that uh, the movies you in get a lot of it, the movies that you're in get a lot of attention this award season because I'll be voting for some of that stuff. Am I allowed to say I can vote for this stuff? I don't even know if I do. I'm not an Academy member. so Then you don't vote. I don't vote. Only for the right yeah, school. No, award, we don't guess. have any black people in the Academy. Only running the Academy now. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl Boone. Yeah. No, you don't vote? Yeah. No, not for that, but for the writer's guild stuff. We already did. Uh, All that crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, man. 
No, I vote. I mean, what are you trying to say? You know, Larry, you don't vote, right? Brothers don't vote. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is our extra talk. <laughs> yes, this is our extra talk <laughs> yes. where we destroy as we're our walking careers. Walking out the door as we walk out the door. What did they say, Bradley Whitford? Thanks, Bradley. Thank you so much. Great to see you.